Oh, well, welcome, everyone. If you're not, uh, if you're watching uh, live stream, some of us are envious because you got to sleep in another hour. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So here's the deal. If you go home today because the weather's cool, find your favorite blanket or comforter. Cut the top off of it. Then sew it on the bottom. It'll make it longer. <laughs> That's daylight savings time in a nutshell. So I have that work. So uh, we have a new person who is training on tech today, Lauren Cross. So be sure to be nice to her. Uh, she know there's Lauren back there waving. Uh, this takes a lot of people to do. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you to Olivia and Lauren and Tim and that's the crew for today and thank you for being here. How many of you came last Saturday or Sunday to hear Amy Jill? Was that not dynamite? And um, thank you Sonny Pearson, you and Pat for making that possible. That was a that's one of the best lecture series this church has had. It was really wonderful. Thank you all for making that, that possible. So um, let's um, begin in silence, as we do. And um, I'll ring the bowl. And just take a couple of deep breaths and try to be in the space. So our intention is that we are so open to truth that what happens here benefits all creation. And uh, if something is said in here that is not the truth, may you forget it before you leave the space. But if it is the truth and transformative, uh, may it bug you till you embrace it. Don't usually hear blessings like that in church. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. I am today <clears throat> introducing a new theme in ordinary life. And I just jump right in and tell you that what I'm calling it tentatively is embracing what scares us as things fall apart. Now, don't let that scare you. Um, but, but my belief is that by embracing, and when I mean what scares us, what we're resistant to, what we wish weren't true, um, it, by embracing those things, we grow in the spiritual traits that at the heart of the teachings of ordinary life, peace, love, joy, humility, and uh, patience. So before we go any further with this, I want to acknowledge two things. First, very little of what I teach is uniquely mine. 
I uh, borrow from the spiritual masters and the sages, particularly Jesus. And if there is something about my interpretation of various biblical teachings that varies from what you may have been taught when you were growing up, ask me. Uh, I'm available by email or phone or in person, usually not right after this because I have to go do the rest of my job. Um, I'll elucidate, maybe in class or maybe some other place, or Google it. Check it out for yourself. You know, don't just trust me. Check out for yourself what is true. And the second thing I want to acknowledge is that my teaching is primarily for me. I am trying to um, figure out my own way forward. And uh, the way that I think about what my teachings in Ordinary Life are is that I'm showing you the photographs of a journey that I've taken or am taking with the hope that maybe you might want to make the same journey. Or maybe it might remind you of places that you've been but you forgot. So, so in today's time, I want to share with you how I have arrived at this point of introducing a new theme. And I want to elaborate a bit on the territory that I hope we will be covering in, in the days ahead. Now, I want to also really clarify that I am not in any way ab abandoning the deep dive into the Gospel of John. The new theme is just an aperture through which to look at the very few things there are to teach in spiritual teaching anyway. There's six or seven major things to teach. You know, as uh, I'm a magician, there are seven magic tricks. I can name five of them. You can make something disappear. You can make something appear. You can make something transform. You can make something uh, move from one place to another. You can levitate something. Those are five. There are two more, but I can't remember them right now. That's it. You just see some version of one of those things every time you see a magic trick. And there are probably six or seven spiritual truths that say, particularly in the Christian tradition, people can get it down to 50 words or less. Uh, so they say we say those things in different ways all the time. So I'm not abandoning John. Matter of fact, we're going to go back and revisit some of that. And <clears throat> although this is true for everything you hear from me <clears throat> in ordinary life, today is going to be very, very, very personal. So... As with all good stories, let's begin at the beginning. Once upon a time, start at the beginning. Ordinary life has always had themes. Um, I began teaching Ordinary Life in June of 1998. That's a long time ago. And, of course, the theme of Ordinary Life a long time ago was Ordinary Life. The principles of Ordinary Life. Those principles are on the Ordinary Life website, and you can go back and look at them. We could revisit those someday if you like. But we spent a lot of time going uh, over those. And at the time, there was a woman who attended Ordinary Life who drew a painting of every one of the principles of Ordinary Life. Is really fascinating. And in keeping with the theme that I'm undertaking right now, the very first principle of ordinary life is we cause ourselves suffering 
by trying to be one up on life. That is by thinking that the rules of life don't apply to us. And uh, the biggest of these uh, rules uh, and the things that we are in constant denial about is that things come to an end. And then I suppose that you might say that the theme that I undertook in ordinary life was uh, to teach about how my understanding of the paths of psychology and spirituality converged into one path. Um, in fact, prior to 9-11, I went back and looked at all the titles anyway of these talks. This is primarily what we talked about in here. <clears throat> and the, the, the path of psychology and the path of spirituality is one path. One path. Um, though I taught about religious and spiritual matters prior to 9-11, um, even spending some time talking about what my theological positions were on various things, um, my teachings were really much more psychologically oriented. As a matter of fact, one person said to me one day, ordinary life is, oh, let me go back. Ordinary life is psychotherapy on a group scale, and it's free. That's good. I look back over what happened after 9-11, and um, I noticed that it took a bit longer than my memory has it, but over the weeks and months, I began to pivot more and more toward explicit religious and biblical teachings. Um, I suppose that you might say that the theme at that time was religious and biblical literacy. Now, I, it, it's not that I see those things as separate from peace, joy, hope, patience, humility, but there's an appalling lack of religious and biblical literacy in our culture, and I wanted to contribute to correcting that, and particularly to address the issue of fundamentalism. Because fundamentalism in whatever form and however it shows up is dangerous and ultimately destructive. People who think they are absolutely certain are a menace. Now, I'm absolutely certain about that. <laughs> so a lot of talks during this period of time were about how to be right without being righteous. It was about how fundamentalism has arisen in different periods of human history. We talked a lot about the works of Karen Armstrong during this period. If you don't know her History of God and the Battle for God, those are really important books to have in, in your library. We talked about how the understanding of God developed. And um, I think that next week we're going to talk about how changing our understanding of God is something that's scary for people. But we need to visit that place embrace that for us so during this time there was a lot of teaching on the parables of Jesus the miracles of Jesus we went through the gospel of Jesus as put together by the Jesus seminar and for those of you who are kind of long-time attendees you might remember that it was during that time that this building was being remodeled and for nine months ordinary life met in the theater museum at the Museum of Fine Arts across the street. Do you remember that? We did that every Sunday. That was quite a, quite a time. Now, I cannot overlook, 
won't overlook the change that occurred uh, in my life and in my teaching when I encountered Ilya Delio and then Michael Morewood. Um, my encounter with Ilya Delio was in 2014. She came here in 2016, and she'd visited Houston on couple of other times after that. She was at the Rothko Chapel. Um, anyway, um, when I went to hear Ilya at a Richard Rohr conference, um, and we didn't even know that she was speaking, um, the primary speaker was one that we were not all that excited about, but we hung around, and the next day, this woman came out, and I could have sworn, if you had asked me after her pr first presentation, how big do you think Ilya Delio is? How is it at least six feet? She's like that tall. But that's how big of an impression she made on me. This Roman Catholic nun... Uh, who's a background in pharmacology, but is now interested in astrophysics and all that sort of stuff, really rethinks theology in an outstanding, wonderful way. And um, it was about that time that I asked Holly Hudley if she would begin occasionally from time to time teaching with me, uh, helping me, and the role she's played uh, has been absolutely in incredible. In December of 2018, I read a series of recorded interviews with uh, Michael Morewood. And um, again, my experience was he took me a little bit further than Ilya Delio had. I finished reading the last of his interviews, which are on the Ordinary Life website under resources. If you want to go download those and read them, they're there to read. Um, they're several years old now, so some of the data might be out of date. I sent him an email and uh, got a phone call from him that day. And one thing led for, to another there on a seven-hour time difference. He's in Australia. Um, Michael Morewood is just an amazing guy. I told somebody at church when we engaged him to come and do um, a lecture here, I said, I've got this defrocked Roman Catholic priest coming. And the person I said that to said, well, there's a recommendation right there. <laughs> he's wonderful. And um, he's, he's a seven on the Enneagram, so he and I play together, play together well. We've had him here twice, once in person um, and then once on a webinar. And both of those, you can go back to the YouTube Ordinary Life and watch the evening presentation with him on this stage is available free of charge there, and um, it's, it's wonderful. So because of them, I think, and other things that I was reading, uh, Brian Swim, Judy Canota, a uh, number of other things that I was reading, I introduced a theme about we had come to the end of one time and not the beginning of the other. So we were between the no longer and the not yet. And that carried us for uh, quite a while. And it was during that time that I spoke primarily to two major topics, the end of cosmological dualism and the end of individual salvation. We have come to the end of cosmological dualism. Now, 
Dualism separates things. And that's no longer useful. It's no longer helpful. Particularly when it comes to God. The end of cosmological dualism briefly, simply means there's no God up out there somewhere as an objective reality, like a tree or a rock. Now that causes us to rethink everything. Prayer, what we think about the meaning of life is, a whole number of other things. Um, Non-duality is virtually impossible to express in language. But here's a metaphor. Think about the way people who are in love think about it. People who are deeply in love, and this has validity in religious and spiritual teachings across the ages, people who are deeply in love consider that they are one with the person that they love. Now, obviously, they are still two indistinct individuals, but because of the oceanic love that exists between them, they consider we are one. We are one. Okay. And um, obviously, that's a very helpful thing to think about in terms of religious and spiritual practice, and we will talk more about that later. The other thing that we have come to the end of is individual salvation, which means pretty much what it sounds like. You are an individual, isolated, separate. And the primary purpose of any religion worth its salt is to make sure you, as an individual, go to heaven when you die. But if cosmological dualism is true, the end of that is true, where is heaven? Up. And if you're down there, where is up? When Jesus ascended into heaven, where did he go? Metaphors all. So from what the cosmologists and the physicists are telling us, we are so entangled with each other in so many ways at so many levels that the idea of a separate self is nonsense. Jesus would not have understood the notion of a separate self. Neither would have Confucius, neither would have any of the other great sages through um, time that have come to offer us their teachings. This notion of a separate self is what's killing us. <clears throat> when we label another person or people as the other, we can either idealize them or objectify them. And that means that we can either give them our unquestioning loyalty or we can kill them. But if we are all on the same level and of the same part, then we can't do that. In Buddhism, uh, they actually teach that because of... Um, the recycling of souls and all of that reincarnation stuff, that everybody you meet has at some point been your mother. How did you treat your mother? The notion of the other is not spiritually or practically helpful. By the way, spirituality and practicality cannot be divided. They're one, two. They are one also. 
So in response to all of that, I did that theme of between the no longer and the no yard, not yet. And um, that offered so much ambiguity to so many people that some folks got uncomfortable with it. We don't have a place to stand. So I changed the theme again. Um, and I call it walking the way of paradox and contradiction. And that's, that's where we are. So if you want a snapshot of all of the themes of ordinary life from the beginning of time until now, here they are. Now somebody else could go back and read the material since 1998 to now and come up with something else, but that's where I am. And now here we are. Our culture has been eclipsed by so many things. And especially the needless, horribly cruel war started in uh, Ukraine. Now, I, I'm like a lot of you. I have been trying to sort out what it means to get back to normal. What's the new normal? Uh, I have been very concerned about this class. I've been concerned about St. Paul's. Um, I'm concerned about the church in general because I see the church on a path of self-destruction. I'm concerned in, about things that are going on in our state, about what's happening in public education, about the restriction of voter rights, the removal of democracy. You enlarge that circle to include our nation, and I'm concerned about those same things on a national level. Of a, a particularly the lack of distributive justice. <clears throat> and I'm concerned about what's going on in our world. Now, because I'm involved with, and, and um, I, gotta, I gotta tell you, I am devoutly committed to my church and to um, the religion of, uh, the Christian religion as I understand it. And, that, and that's where I stand. That's where I'll continue to be. I see the importance of both the spiritual and religious, and they're not the same for me, for the living of life. And so I was knocked speechless <clears throat> when someone this week sent me a piece where a respected news source reported, and this is a long quote, but I want to read it to you. While the world looks on in horror as Russia's invasion of Ukraine unfolds, one group has been praising Russian President Vladimir Putin. It turns out that Putin has a fan base in America's right-leaning evangelical politicians and pundits. At this year's Conservative Political Action Conference, this is continuing the quote, Lauren Witzke, a GOP candidate for the Senate in Delaware, said, quote, Here's the deal. Russia is a Christian nationalist nation. They're actually Russian Orthodox. I identify more with Putin's Christian values than I do with Joe Biden. Many believe Putin's nationalism, coupled with their Christian belief, is the way America should be. 
Folks, our country's moving in that direction. So all of this has been percolating in my mind, and, and, and I've had, luckily, because of the way things have gone, kind of breaks from teaching and writings. I've been thinking about all this for a long time, and it's been percolating in my mind and uh, spirit. As last week, uh, I gave the homily for a former senior pastor of this church, um, the Reverend Dr. Wayne Day. Now, um, I've got I've got two close friends right now. One died uh, day before yesterday. Uh, one is in the process of dying that I've been doing hospice work with, and um, so I'd known Wayne was dying for some time and been keeping up with Wayne and Marta. Wayne died of Alzheimer's. Um, so I, I've known for a long time that I was going to do his eulogy, and so I've been working on it, thinking about it in, in that sense. And, wow, you know how it just, like that photo album thing I talked about, it just took me back over a long period of time to all those memories of what, what happened that led me here. I, I first met Wayne Day when we were involved in an advanced marriage and family psychology training program. At the time, Wayne was an associate pastor of a church in Clear Lake, Texas. And Wayne and I became really good friends during that time. As a matter of fact, that friendship lasted well past when they were, uh, when they were in Fort Worth and he was working later for um, the Texas Foundation. Um, Wayne and Marta and I would take trips together. We had an annual trip to the beach every January to celebrate Marta's birthday and to watch the Super Bowl. And um, it was just a long, loving friendship that existed between us. And during that time, Wayne and I, when we were in the training program together, we would have lunch together and talk about what we wanted to do. And Wayne was thinking about going into private practice. I'd already gone into private practice, so he was picking my brain about that, thinking about doing that for himself. <clears throat> and um, I'm so glad he didn't do that because he affected, ended up affect, affecting thousands of lives by what he did. Um, Wayne left Clear Lake and became the pastor of a very small church in Troop, Texas, which is close to Tyler. And then he left that church after building it and started at the Methodist in, uh, appointment system, a church in Klein, Texas, which for years was the fastest growing church in all of Methodism. And out of that experience, those experiences, his psychological training and, and his church experience, Wayne developed a reputation for being a builder and a healer. And so it was that the bishop appointed Wayne to St. Paul's, 1982. When Wayne came to St. Paul's, the attendance in the early service was smaller than the choir is now. The choir had 10 or 12 members, according to Francis Anderson. The average age of, po uh, of the population of St. Paul's was 78. Okay? 
This is the situation that Wayne inherited. It gets worse. There was on the bishop here appointed, well, actually, they don't have an appointment if you're retired, but there was a position created on the staff here for a former bishop called Bishop in Residence. And that bishop was a time bomb because he was a closeted gay man who was dying of AIDS. Now, those of us who practice psychology in the small town that Houston was in the 70s, we knew this. I had encountered clients of mine who had had sex with this bishop. And yet it was kept as this very closely guarded secret. But here he was in St. Paul's dying of AIDS. And if you want to know the whole story, it's all written up. In a full cover story in Texas Monthly, I'm sure you can go back through their archives and you can dig that up and you can read that. It's a, it's a great story. Now, I'm using Wayne Day's story as a metaphor. I hope you realize that because what I'm trying to talk about is how life comes out of death. Living things die. Or as the Buddhists put it, things arise and they fall away. This is not my notes, but I'll just tell you this. When Wayne left St. Paul's, he was appointed to another troubled church in Fort Worth <clears throat> where the trouble in that church was the senior minister was accused of having sex with 21 of his parishioners. And uh, so on the last night that Wayne and Marta were in town, we took them to dinner, and Marta had just tears running down her face because she didn't want to leave. And Wayne was excited about his new gig. And I said, Wayne, what are you looking forward to? And he said, well, you know, the job description of the minister there is that you have to have sex twice a week <laughs> with somebody. <laughs> he healed that church, which was an important church because when I was in seminary in Fort Worth, First Methodist Church, Gaston Foote was the minister there, and I plagiarized his sermons. You had to start somewhere. I would tell my church members, when better sermons are written, I'll preach them. So, so uh, when Wayne came to Houston, we came to St. Paul's, I was moderating a television program for Channel 11, the ABC outlet here in Houston. And the woman who produced the program and I, uh, we're always scouring news sources for guests to be on the show. We usually had three panelists, including me. With uh, th This is during the Reagan administration when the religion and public affairs were just beginning to come to the forefront, right? You see where it is today. Well, that was the beginning of evangelical Christians getting getting in the news and making their their place. So the, the show dealt with the mix of public affairs and religion. Um, and when I saw in the paper that Wayne had come to Houston, I got that information to the producer of the show. Uh, he became a regular. Some other people on that show who were regulars were Rabbi, my friend, I'm glad to say, Rabbi, Rabbi Sam Carr, who's deceased now. Niels Nielsen, who was the head of the religion department at Rice, member of this church, deceased now. Two other regular guests were Bill Martin, dear friend of mine, Stephen Kleinberg, Bill and... Stephen and I came to Houston at the same time and became friends. Both of them are now retired. 
um, from their teaching positions. And we had other guests, uh, book authors of books as they were available coming through town. It, it was really a heady time. And uh, I really enjoyed what I did. I'd had a background in radio and television, so that that all fit together. And, and Wayne became a friend of that television program, and he wanted to help it along, so he organized a lunch that was held right back there in this room before it was remodeled of all the people in the public, political, and religious arena that he could think of that might be potential guests on the show. So we met here. Before that lunch, I came down to St. Paul's to meet Wayne, and we would have a lunch to talk about what we were going to do. It's the first time I'd walked in that church. And um, as you may have heard me say before, I'm a sucker for Gothic architecture. And so as we were going to lunch, Wayne took me into the sanctuary and, and I fell in love with the space. And Sherry and I were living in Clear Lake at the time. We were looking for a church. And so I went home and said, I want us to go to St. Paul's next Sunday. And when we came that first Sunday, I knew I had found home. Because I looked from where we sat in the back on the left at people in the chancel and I knew everybody. The church that I had pastored in Houston for 16 years met on Sunday afternoon. And when other clergy around that I knew couldn't be in their pulpit because they were on vacation or continuing education or whatever, I'd sub for them. So I knew all these people. The organist of the church where I was pastor was a guy named Rob Landis. And when Rob could not be present for, um, for the church service, he would get either Francis Anderson or Bob Brewer to come play the organ. They were staff musicians here at St. Paul's. Rob eventually left Covenant to go to St. Philip's Presbyterian, and he got a guy to take his place whose name was Kenny Coleman. And Kenny became eventually organist at St. Paul's. There are lots of cross-connections, or what my teacher Robert Johnson would call the golden threads that tie our lives together, or what Ilya Delio would call divine entanglement. So on the second Sunday that Sherry and I attended here, <clears throat> Wayne asked me if I would teach a Sunday school class. I said, yep. I'll teach this class for um, 12 weeks. I taught him for about four weeks, and Wayne came to me, and he said, I want you to start being a regular participant in the worship service. Now, you can understand, I'm a Baptist. Being a Baptist is like being a cradle Catholic. You never really get over it. But Wayne said, your class is growing, the mind and spirit class. I am trying to build the, the attendance and the service. Maybe we can get some cross-pollination going. So I taught that class for 10 years, and during that time, I performed baptisms, weddings, and funerals. Um, <clears throat> I'm now burying people that I married, or marrying babies that I baptized in here. One night in a dream, God came to me and said, I want you to stop teaching that class. And... Uh, 
because I want to model good spirituality for you, I did what God told me to do. I don't want to disappoint or disobey the Almighty. So I quit. Things fall away. By the time that Wayne left St. Paul's to go to that church in Fort Worth, the average age of the membership was 36. And the church services were packed to the degree that we started a third service. Now, I'm not going to in detail about the entire history of St. Paul's, but ever since I've been here, there have been a rhythm of things rising and falling away. There have been rough times. There have been dark times. And there have been times of incredible brightness. People that we thought we could not live without died or left. It does seem to me that the past few years have been times of significant falling away. The long-simmering conflict in the United Methodist Church over the issue of full inclusion reached an almost breaking point. We thought we had an, uh, they, um, they did, had an amicable parting agreement worked out at General Conference. It, it was a huge disappointment a few years ago when that did not happen. And um, St. Paul's senior pastor at the time could not bring himself to side firmly with the membership of the congregation, and that caused considerable pushback and considerable falling away. Um, there was, during that time, some of you may remember, a full-page ad that was taken out with over a thousand signatures in the Houston Chronicle of Methodists who opposed the lack of decision made at the General Conference. Over 200 of those signatures were by members of St. Paul's, including most of the clergy. The upset was so significant that the senior pastor asked to be reassigned. That was a falling away. I love that man. I thought he was a great pastor. Now, that happened right at the beginning of a $10 million refurbishing con program here, remember? Which for the people who attended here on Sunday was an uh, inconvenience. For those, of our worked, for those of us who worked here, it was hell. It was very difficult. I had five different office locations during that time here. It was a falling away. <clears throat> a new pastor comes. Things arise. Sometimes the things that fall away seem overwhelming. It broke my heart when Matt Russell left this church. Because Matt and I had a plan about how we were going to proceed, including ordinary life and a lot of other things, and that ain't going to happen. And then um, Anna Teagarden, who was the head of the children's music program, who has a reputation that is nationwide, got lured away to another position here in Houston. I once said that... <clears throat> If I could take what Anna Teagarden had and bottle it, I'd be a millionaire. She could work wonders with children. And just when we were right occupying the facility again, 
COVID hits. And we're not done with COVID. We're just worn out by it. You know, in the last two days in the United States, more people have died of COVID than died at 9-11. And many experts, as well as those who are not experts, except being on the front lines as participants in, say, churches, um, wonder if things will ever come back to their pre-COVID status. And many of those churches don't exist anymore. They're out of business, just like many restaurants and other places, they're, they're gone. Um, I looked it up on the internet, and you can't get accurate statistics. Um, some people say that conservatively so far, COVID has taken 6 million lives. A lot of epidemiologists think the figure is well under more than that. But sadly, we've just kind of grown used to it like we grow used to school shootings. They have. A big deal. So we regathered in here in June of last year first Sunday back, um, just to give you a, a um, thing. I know some people say numbers don't matter, but try teaching to an empty room. They do. The Sunday before we closed down for COVID, we had 147 people in this room. The Sunday after we first regathered, we had 73. That's half, about. And then guess what happened? Delta hit. And then guess what happened? Omicron hit. And there has been so much misinformation and so much wrong information about safety, virus, protocols, and all that that people don't know what to, do, what to believe. And as for what's going to happen to the Methodist denomination, uh, it's just another example of how churches are designed to shoot themselves in the foot. Now, one of the things I said in the eulogy I gave at Wayne Day's service is that it would do each of us good to give some thought to the fact that someday someone will stand before some size group and hold our memory up for others to see. The first line of my own daily spiritual practice is, today may be the day that I die. May this awareness transform how I live this day. I have a, a dear friend <clears throat> who's a dear friend because he's a smart ass like me, who said, you know the size of the crowd at your funeral is going to depend on the weather that day? <laughs> he said, if it's a cold, rainy day, don't expect much. So, Peggy Odom died this week. She's one of the ones I've been seeing in um, a hospice, and she will... There will be a service for her um, on April the 3rd. Um, her children wanted it on April 1st, which I thought was just so great because she was such a cartoon character, so funny. And um, what I said to her, what I say to people when I visit them in, in the hospice, the first thing I say is, um, 
Um, there's absolutely nothing to be scared of. You're going to be fine. I'm saying that to you. There's nothing to be scared of. We're going to be fine. And the second thing I say to them is that I'm not far behind you. When uh, Marta called me and told me that Wayne was dead, she said, um, you know, we have spaces in the columbarium together, Sherry and I and Wayne and Marta. She said, so someday we're going to play together and have picnics. And I'm going to die someday. And that will affect this class, okay? Now, we are working on a hologram right now like Michael Jackson did. <laughs> Things fall away. Something else will take its place. Or it won't. I miss the St. Paul's I once knew. I miss the ordinary life we had before the virus hit us. I miss the time when Texas was not so much of a laughing stock. Thank God for Florida. At least that state's government stupidity deflects a little bit from us. I miss the United States. When it seemed that we were not nearly as capable as we are right now of getting into a really, really big conflict. Someone said to me just this week, you know, I was focused on the possible loss of democracy in America. And now I'm concerned about the loss of the world. Things fall away. And things arise. And you know what? I don't think it's the falling away or the rising that are such problems. They are inevitabilities. I think the real issue is they're not under our control. Hence my thesis. It is only by fearlessly embracing the inevitable that we can experience peace. Things fall apart and things will arise. We're just not God. That position has been taken. And I want to remind you that the ways of God are mysterious, but yours don't need to be, so use your turn signals. So if we have concerns about people or things passing away, which they will, we can embrace that reality and get on with the living and loving that not only gives meaning to our lives, but also gives meaning in life to the people and things and structures and institutions and organizations that we say we love. Though there is nothing that we can do to stop the inevitability of things and people falling away, we can significantly alter things as well as the lives of people by making concrete expressions of concern, appreciation, and love. 
Now, though Wayne did not expect any one person to do all the work in bringing St. Paul's back to life, he did expect that each one of us would do her or his part. That is why, rather than give a benediction at the end of any worship service, he would say this. He would say, Our gathering has come to an end. Now, where will we go and who will we be? And the congregation was trained to respond, we go out to be God's people in the world. Isn't that good? Hope you like it. One of my current definitions of what it means to be Christian is to have a growing relationship with the values of inclusion and justice that Jesus taught. And doing so with the faith that that spiritual practice will not leave us unchanged. If we're Christian, if we seek to know and follow Jesus and his teachings, that makes us part of God's people, part of the empowered and empowering community Jesus called the kingdom or community of God. So um, 9-11, which is so long ago now, 20 years, that there are kids born who don't have any idea what that was like. But you, some of you remember. And on the Sunday after 9-11, um, of course, that Sunday church was packed. Um, Jim Bankston preached a wonderful sermon. America United. You know, it was an America in the United Plains that hit the towers. And I came up with this um, way to conclude uh, ordinary life that Sunday by saying, no matter where you go, no matter what happens, watch yourself. Because remember this, you carry precious cargo. And it's uh, that will always be my true loving concern and expression to and for you. Uh, but you know what? They're blessing words. They're very individually focused. I think it's time for us to take the teachings of ordinary life to another level. So I want you to work through whatever initial resistance you might have for us to end our times together by saying, our time has come to an end, where will we go and who will we be? And you respond by saying, we go out to be God's people in the world. Embracing what scares us as um, things fall apart. Now again, I want to assure you, this is not doom and gloom. It's the facing of what is in a way that frees us to be able first to experience ourselves and then to express those values of peace, hope, joy, patience, and humility in the living of our own lives. And it prepares us not to be terrified by the inevitable of things falling away. And by doing that, we can leave behind a legacy of people in a world that were glad that we were. Now, as I have gotten older and have grown in my awareness, though I don't know when, nobody knows, um, as I said, I'm not far behind Wayne in making the same journey, or Peggy, or whoever. And also, as I have gotten older, I find myself believing less and less. However, I find that what I do believe, I believe at more depth and that these beliefs matter to me more and more. And one of those beliefs 
is that there is no place where grace is not. Now, grace is the word that um, I'm using for God. You use some other word if it fits you better. But grace is with us, present all the time, in every moment, in every event, every person. Another word for grace is love. And though no word is capable of naming this mystery, it's right here. It's right now. It's in you. It's with us. Seeking to express this mystery through how you go out of here and live your life. Now, through this, though the, though the mystics have known for centuries this um, to be true, the relatively new discipline of evolutionary cosmology is uh, now telling us that this energy makes up the cosmos, including us, and that this energy, and these are Ilya's words, is evolving, expanding, creative, entangled. And um, this entanglement, some people call coincidence. But the mystics call them signs of the sacred. Um, some in religious traditions call them miracles. And again, as I get older and stay faithful to my uh, own daily spiritual practice. I see signs of this grace, these miracles everywhere, all the time. Now you know, without my telling you, we are badly in need of a better world. Division and divisiveness are as bad as any time I can remember. Gun violence, addiction rates, suicides as high as in recorded history. And those skilled in areas of science and climate say we may have reached the point of no return in being able to give to our children and grandchildren a habitable planet. And add to that all the moves all over the world away from democracies toward autocracies, the tragic invasion of Ukraine being the latest example. Yes, things look bleak. But. If you are in any way concerned about the arenas that I have mentioned today, this class, this church, this city, our state, our nation, our world, I want to invite you to embrace the inevitability of things falling away. And at the same time, live the faith of knowing a spiritual power that cannot be defeated by death or darkness, and that we can participate in bringing new life, new being out of dead, dying circumstances. And we can do that with joy and enthusiasm. By the way, the word enthusiasm means God in. So life and death are a single mystery. Death is inevitable but so is resurrection. I want what you hear in here to equip you to live out there, to trust that sacred mystery will always, no matter what, hold you safety in, safely in love. And in and with that knowledge, you can live your beautiful, precious lives where you live in a way that makes a difference.
So, our gathering has come to an end. Where will we go and who will we be? We go out to be God's people in the world and I'll see you here next Sunday. Thank you.